Business Class, a podcast sponsored by the iBear MBA program of the USC Marshall School of Business. Expert insight into the world of business. In this episode of Business Class, we look at how the suddenly changing business landscape of the COVID crisis is yanking the foundations from many businesses and creating opportunities for others. One would not think that the commodity world of baking flour would create a prime example of market opportunity. I'm Kevin Morris. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cairn Spring Mills. We wanted to know how Cairn Spring Mills came into being. This business was the manifestation of many people in this community who wanted to do several things. One was maintain our agricultural heritage and industry. Uh, and to do that by adding value to the local agricultural crops by bringing local processing back that would create a new product and create a higher value market and lift the farmers out of the commodity system. And I always uh, liken it to an old-fashioned barn raising. We learned that Kevin's background was in economic development, and we asked if the mill benefited from his experience. I had been working for the past 35 years in economic development, I was an executive director for an economic development district. I ended up here after the 35 years of professional experience. I had the aha moment of, wow, the best thing we can do to address so many of these things that I care about, from conservation to clean food to community prosperity and health, was to help rebuild a local food system. Because what I had discovered as the driver behind so many of these issues that we've been wrestling with in the for-profit and public and nonprofit sector is being driven by a centralized industrial food system that wasn't really adequately serving our needs and our community or maintaining the viability of farming. And uh, that was a little over five years ago, and I haven't looked back since. Then we asked Kevin what happened in his company when the COVID-19 pandemic appeared on the horizon, and suddenly all the basic assumptions for supply chain, customer demand, and consumer behavior changed practically overnight. As soon as we saw shelter-in-place orders go into effect in China, really we had some premonition of it. And we started thinking about what happens if it makes it here. It became very real, of course, when Governor Inslee issued the shelter-in-place order and shut down all the restaurants. As soon as all the restaurants shut down, that's 60% of our business. Wholesale. We are primarily a wholesale supplier to production bakeries, restaurants. And so we are sitting there looking at each other after the Shelton Place order going, what are we going to do? I had board members calling me saying, Kevin, what are you going to do? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's been such a blur. What's it been 60 days now? I think a couple of really serendipitous things happened. One is uh, I went to Costco just after the shelter in place and the shelves were empty. And I saw people walking out with the big uh, carts piled with flour, toilet paper and rice. (laughs) And I immediately thought, okay, there's gonna be a rush on pantry items and staples. Then we all just started getting together to think about how do we shift from a primarily wholesale business to sell our flour direct to consumer. And so that was, it was literally a matter of days and then just the serendipitous trip to Costco and that image. 
set us in a completely new direction. We asked about his thought process. How did he come to the conclusion that this disaster was going to help him prove his basic business premise? You know, I, I really, honestly, the odd thing about our view of that and the supply chain is when I saw what was happening in China and I heard they were having a hard time getting one personal protection gear in and, and some food items, my initial thought was actually like, oh, okay, we're going to be all right if that happens because our supply chain is local and regional. So it wasn't something I was actually worried about. I was like, wow, that is our value proposition right now. That is how we are different. And that is how we're going to survive because while all these other supply chains are being interrupted, migraines five miles down the road where it comes from five hours away in one of the farmer's farms that we work with. And so I didn't really worry about that too much. Um, I just knew that, wow, this is, I just, we had a sense, well, here's our opportunity. Here's how we really show that a decentralized food system is resilient during times of crisis, whether it's a natural disaster or pandemic or climate change. We pushed Kevin to elaborate on the business model. Not only do we think that by bringing back local processing capacity would add value and have the economic outputs we wanted, uh, we were also very interested and clear that it was our belief it would make the community more resilient in all the ways I just described. And um, what was interesting, if you're talking about business and the evolution of this is for for five years now, we we founded the company in 2015, we went into production in 2017, and we've been working on a scrappy budget. And everybody's been saying, wow, flour, really? Really? Why flour? And I explain how it's the last thing to go local, how it's highly centralized, And uh, we had 24,000 mills in this country just 100 years ago. And now we have 166, which are mostly owned by five companies. So it was ripe for disruption. It was ripe for a new product segment, just like think about how coffee was 20 years ago when all we had was Maxwell House and Folgers. Uh, And so we went out to the marketplace and the customers, the customer and market acceptance has been beyond our expectations, 26% of quarter, eight quarters in a row. My challenge growing this business until now was the investors were like, yeah, I can see you can provide a good return. I can see how it could be replicated and expanded, but I'd rather go put money in my friend's new iPhone app or an AI company that's just emerging. Now I'm getting calls from people in Seattle saying, um, are you still raising money? We understand it's really important to rebuild our local food systems. We see the value in that now. So it's really come full circle. We're actually raising money in the middle of a pandemic and, and having success because we're, it's very easy to see, one, the value, how we're different, and how this can be replicated across the country. And I'll say when we're successful. We noted that his company was doing well but we also wanted to know how other businesses in his region were doing. It's really like the tale of two cities, the best of times and worst of times. We have very good friends who own the largest tulip company here in the country. And when the pandemic hit and 
restrictions were put in place, they had to shut down the Tulip Festival, which is their biggest income generator in the year. That and people's discretionary spending habits changed and they just weren't buying flowers. So they have been hit extremely hard. They shut down operations, they laid off a lot of their employees. On the flip side, a number of our growers are potato growers. And um, they are digging potatoes out of the ground that they thought they had overplanted. They were in the spring because they sold every potato in the pit and needed more. And then so many of our diversified crop farmers who are doing home delivery and CSA boxes are seeing, I don't know, anywhere from four to 10 time increase in demand because people don't want to go to the grocery store. They, they're, they're hungry, so to speak, for clean, local, healthy food. And uh, one of my good friends who has a home delivery business, he used to do about $20,000 a week. Now he's doing $100,000 a week. And so I think it just depends on which sector and which channel these farmers are in. Uh, and it's good news for some and, and horrible news for others. We asked Kevin to visualize this moment in time. I think a bubble's been broken. I was talking to a, a, one of our advisors who's a former venture capitalist. Um, and she called this a macro shock event where it's drastically changing consumer behavior. And there's, a, there's very little distinction between retail goods and surplus goods, meaning small packages or bulk. And so businesses like ours, we're, we're being sought out now whereas before we might not have been. We've been selling our 50-pound bags direct to the public from the mill. Um, 16,000 pounds at past two Fridays. People driving up from Seattle, you know, 280 cars around the block loading their, their cars with 50-pound bags of flour. Uh, and so I think one is we, we're just elevating our brand and our, and our exposure. But the other thing that Mary said to me was that in times like this, if you can somehow tangibly help a consumer out of what they perceive as a bind or predicament, we're probably gaining close to 100% brand loyalty. And so I think there's that factor. And then there's the factor of as these customers come up and discover us, you know, Bow Hill, Blueberry, Sandwich Bay Cheese, Headland Farm, and they taste food that is clean and healthy and fresh, um, they're hooked. We have people on our social media writing me notes and sending me letters about how it's the, the best sourdough bread they've ever baked in their lives and they're never going to buy industrial white flour again. And so I think there's not just one bubble bursting, but lots of tiny ones. Then Kevin painted a picture of Cairn Spring Mills. I describe our mill as going back to the future. We are in a 6,000 square foot building with aluminum siding and a new metal roof. No sign out front because we haven't had the budget for it. <laughs> yeah, a, a little magnet on the door with our logo. And you walk in and there is an office area with a couple offices and the table where you would have coffee and toast with the farmers. And then you walk through another door in the production area. And that's most of the building. That's about 5,000 square feet. And our mill 
is a combination of modern milling equipment um, along with stone mills that are commercial stone mills with stones that are still made in Ethiopia because they were designed to mill teff and they're very hard so they can withstand many hours of milling and stay sharp and productive. Uh, and then we also have computer control panels, automatic shutdown and startup, um, and we're able to produce a high volume of flour, at least for us, which is about 15,000 pounds in a shift, um, in a very, very small space. Our annual output, if we're running just one line, one shift a day, uh, five days a week, is about six million pounds of flour. That might sound like a lot, but one ardent mills, industrial mill, can make five million pounds in a day. So we're more like a craft brewery than a modern flour mill. And what we've tried to do is incorporate modern technology for safety and efficiency with some old world milling techniques to make a very different flour than we've been used to in our generation. We asked Kevin to walk us through the business decisions and changes to his business model that are taking his company to profitability during the pandemic. I think we're going to lose a high percentage of our independent restaurants and even some of our larger restaurant chains and commercial bakeries. Depending on how long this lasts and if they can be creative and inventive, many of them are with deliveries and takeout meals and new concepts. I just don't know. I don't think commercial sales, at least for the next three to five years, will be as big a part of our business as it was to start out. And so the other light that went on was, wow, we're getting a great margin. <laughs> For direct to consumer and retail sales, literally um, three to four times the margin because the flower industry is high volume, low margin, at least historically, with the big industrial mills. And we've been trying to break that bubble. But now we've also had this insight like, wow, instead of having to mill 320,000 pounds of flour a month and going through distribution channels to break even. If we sold everything we made at the current prices, we would only have to mill 120,000 pounds a month to break even and be proud. We had our first profitable month last month, three quarters ahead of projections. Uh, and I, you know, it's sad that it took a pandemic to do this and drive this type of business our way. And I don't think we're going to return to at least the volume of commercial production. We are going to permanently focus a large percentage of our uh, production capacity to direct the consumer and retail. Uh, one, because we have to, and two, because it's a more profitable business to be in in the long term. We will still always have a commercial portfolio, but we're not really thinking about growing it as big as we were once before. Our strategy before was to establish these distribution agreements that can get our product or regionally and then nationally, and now it's like, well, why don't we just sell commercially in the Northwest or the West Coast? We are about to go to New York City, uh, and then just build out our, our retail product offering. And so that's gonna be permanent. In a final word, we wanted to know which basic business practices were proving to be the most important. 
you know, it's really interesting because we're just starting to get clarity around this. One is it's all about cash management right now and really, really analyzing our cash flow and priorities. The other is where there seems to be some consensus is now is the time to actually do new product development. What the trends are showing us, and again, this goes to one of your earlier questions about what's going to happen is we think there's going to be a, a significant change in, in consumer behavior that's going to stay. After this pandemic, they're going to look for product like they were hoping to access or did access during this time where, again, they have the authentic relationship. It's trusting. It's clean. Uh, it's more nutritious. It's more flavorful. And so I'm, I'm actually embarking upon three projects where we're working with partners to develop uh, direct-to-consumer, I'll, I'll keep it at that, flower-based products that we're hoping to launch by September or October. Again, these are products that are shelf-stable, where they can go in the freezer, easy to make, and then contain all the attributes that we want to provide in a product. The other is um, just flood every channel we can with our product and to explore and see where we get the best response. And so they're encouraging us to roll the dice and be a little crazy, uh, to learn quickly. And to give you an example, one of the things that we came up with last week is we're like, okay, 80% of our customers are coming from Seattle and Tacoma. How do we get our product there direct to the consumer? Still get a better margin um, and not have to rely on a distribution network that's a little bit iffy right now. And so we came up with this idea of the, out, the Karen Spring Outposts where not only are, do we think we can sell more flour this way, but it's a way to lift up the businesses that have been our partners since day one. So we are gonna send, I've, I've been calling up our partners uh, and friends, London Plain down in Pioneer Square, um, Joberstein's Deli in North Seattle, Seawolf Bakers. And I'm just saying, hey, you know what? I wanna send you guys a pallet of flour and you sell it. You sell it at this markup at this price. Here's what here's what we're going to charge you for. Really. But I'm not even doing a net 15 or a net 30. The deal is, you guys just sell this thing when it's out. You pay us, and at the same time, we're going to send, we're going to promote on social media, and through our friendship networks, that you guys have flour in Seattle. So hopefully, people will come and buy the flour, but also buy your bread or your pizza or your take-home meals. And oh my gosh. It's taken off. I thought we thought we would try with just three, three pilot projects. And I called a half dozen people and all six of them want them. And now I have people on the East Coast and Kansas and Colorado and others say, hey, yeah, I talked to my buddy over at this bakery. He said, that's what you're doing. Can you send us a pallet of flour too? And um, one bakery in Seattle has been selling a, a pallet every five days. It's 50, 50, 50 pound bags on a pallet and they can't keep up demand. So that's a long-winded answer to your question. Again, cash, be creative, discover and fail quickly where you find success. And then I think the next challenge for us will be, okay, we've discovered all these things are working. Now we're, what do we really focus on? So that's the next part of the journey. Business class, expert insight into the world of business. The host, Dick Drobnik, 
producer Pankaj Bhushan, director Dan Griffin, web developer Rick Pine, and I am Robin Garthwaite.